This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's a huge news day, and since it's Monday, we've got the Zoomer Squad to help us tease out how all of this impacts the demographic. We've got a masking recommendation as opposed to a mandate. Is that strong enough? And we've got an economic update coming this afternoon. The Premier already announced an extension of the gas tax cut. Will there be any other direct pocketbook measures? And is this the help that older people need? The province is recording big surpluses. No sign that there's any move to repeal Bill 124, the 1% cap on some public sector wages, including healthcare workers. And is he doing enough to fix the healthcare crisis that we are hearing so much about? The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, VP, Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hello, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. So uh, let us begin with David, who is sitting right across from me. Uh, are you expecting anything good in about an hour from the province? Well, I'm not expecting anything dramatic. I think an uh, economic update is not where they're going to... Um, launch, they might tease some policy initiatives, but I don't think they're in the mode of, you know, here's a few hundred million here, here's a few hundred million there. Um, I think that they have this surplus. They did predict last year that they were going to have surpluses for the next several years, but we'll see if we go into a bad recession. Uh, they may not have any wiggle room. So I think it's going to, I, you know, we're guessing, but I, I don't think we're going to see any big sweeping uh, headline items from the from this minister. Uh, Bill, are you looking for anything in particular? Well, uh, we're we're always looking for uh, increases in the attention that they pay to the issues of older Ontarians, but uh, not expecting anything in this uh, update. It's only an update. Uh, uh, and what we expect to see is some indication of where we really should be pushing for the, the spring budget that comes next uh, next March. So probably some reintroduction of some things like uh, more long-term uh, care care beds and and uh, more support for staff. But uh, we're not expecting anything new. Just a a re uh, a repeat of of promises already made. Uh, Peter, you think the same? Yeah, well, I, you know, um, uh, the, the uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland said um, the federal government was keeping its powder dry in case uh, the economic situation uh, went topsy-turvy next year. I'd imagine the Ford-Ontario uh, tours will follow the same tack and, you know, continue the gas tax because we know gas prices aren't going down. But uh, just kind of, uh, you know, keep that as as the one thing, and then react in the spring when, uh, you know, when we know much more about uh, the how the economic situation unfolds. You know, uh, we're hearing about a crisis in our hospitals, and the emphasis this time is on very young children, but. That certainly doesn't exempt older people, because if there are very young children taking up the space, that's less for older people. And, uh, you know, we all have very young children that we love. Uh, does it seem to you that they are addressing this in any kind of fulsome way, David? Well, frankly, no. Um, we had a meeting last week between the provincial health ministers and the feds. And the provinces just asked for more money, and the Fed said, well, let's see you do something with it, and it kind of ended in that. Um, nobody was really serious about uh, looking at this as a crisis, as a systemic crisis that required 
crisis management and it's more, you know, I mean, a few million here, a few million there, we'll add some more beds. They'll do the little tweaking that they need to do. I do think it has their attention, but I don't see any appetite for really digging into um, what's wrong, you know, on, on a broad basis and coming up with any imaginative new solutions. Well, the question is also, I mean, there was no agreement. So the federal government wants to be able to have a say in what's done with that money. And that's what the provinces are pushing back against. Uh, So who's a good guy and who's a bad guy here? Bill, do you have a sense? Well, this is, is, uh, yeah, they're they're both bad guys. They're using... uh, uh, either where you're talking about children or you're talking about o- older Canadians, they're using uh, using them as a ping pong uh, a ball back and forth with no uh, with no no decisions uh, e- either way. They really don't seem to be taking it seriously yet at either level and really looking for solutions now. As David said, uh, you don't know real no real action at all. A little bit of of tweaking here and there. And didn't we learn from? From two years ago, that uh, it's going to take major, major changes uh, now, not just uh, not just uh, tweaking. And I think that uh, uh, older uh, people, grandparents, are just as concerned about uh, uh, the children and what's happening with them. And remember, if it runs rampant with the children, then it's going to get to the older population too, because they're the ones offering a lot of the the uh the child care so uh, either either way it's a government reaction it's really starting to upset our carp members uh, more and more all the time they're not just upset they're angry peter does the federal health minister jean-yves duclos have a point that uh he wants to make sure that uh, money spent is used in the right way and and the provinces just seem to be protecting their jurisdiction. Uh, is, does he have a point there? He, uh, he has a point, but how much, um, you know, how, how much sort of insight or how, how much sort of like control over that money uh, can he have? Because it, it's a, uh, you know, it's a provincial jurisdiction. So this, this kind of battle, like it, it, this seems to be like um, Groundhog Day. I, I've heard this so many times from so many different uh, Prime ministers versus premiers, and it's you know it's sort of like I don't know if it's posturing or it like pre-negotiating posturing or what it is, but it it has a horrible feeling of Groundhog Day about it. And um, I, you know, just once it would be nice if they could say, oh, "Look, our hospitals are overflowing. We're running out of child pain reliever. You know, um, we're closing down ERs and and ICUs. Uh, let's just solve this. You know, let's." Stop the sort of bickering and the you know the, the the I think Bill calls it a ping pong game, you know just stop that and just get down to business. But uh, that's never happened before, so you know why would we think it was going to happen this time? Well, exactly. But you know, part of the problem in this country is we have such a patchwork of standards and levels of care from province to province. I mean, I would think there is a role if the federal government. I'm not saying that they are competent to set those standards and oversee it, but but it it seems to me that that's a reasonable thing to ask. And often they get money, and the money just goes into uh, the black hole called general revenue. Right. Well, they're, yeah. they're, they're dealing with the wrong problem. And I think to your original question, of course he's right to question it. Here comes more money. We're going to give you more money, and you're going to do the same thing all over again. Exactly. Um, and I think that there was a role for him to be perhaps even tougher. I think he did walk out of the meeting at the, on the last day and kind of throw up his hands in, in despair. But the problem is this. If we had a finely tuned machine that was just underfunded, everything's good, but we just need more dollars, that would be one thing. But the whole machine is broken. The, the entire system is broken, and we are already spending, and we've said this on this yeah. program many times, second highest in the OECD on healthcare spending as a percentage of GDP. We're throwing more dollars at this than most other developed countries, and our results are at the bottom. So I think it would be it's completely reasonable for the feds to say um, 
what are you guys doing here with all these dollars? Show us a new way forward and we might write some checks. I think it's completely reasonable for them to take a hard line like that. I've got to say that in this case, I, I do agree with you, though. I always question uh, any kind of competence in this government. I mean, they're <laughs> the true. people who can't, they can't issue passports. They can't, you know, do a whole pile of very basic things. So this is a big deal thing. It is. It is. Uh, moving right along, mask, non-mandate, it is, is that, is that going to get people to wear masks, David? Uh, yes and no. I think people who are predisposed to, uh, to doing that will, and others won't. Um, um, I'm not sure that when we had the mandates, there were all kinds of other exceptions, and then we're going to go back to social. Basically, we've got is, here is a triple play. We've got a perfect storm of COVID, not quite going away, flu season, and this RSV, this children's respiratory. It's not just children. Well, this general respiratory thing that the kids particularly can get affected by, on top of which, and Peter mentioned this briefly, no children's ibuprofen and Tylenol. Yeah. And, you know, who was supposed to order that? So um, it's a perfect storm of elements, and I think it is prudent to advise, uh, to, to offer the advice they did. But again, it underscores, you know, is there one message? Who's in charge? Uh, should you? Shouldn't you? And uh, Doug Ford says he's going to follow the uh, Dr. Moore. Dr. Moore is saying, well, you should, but I'm not going to make you. It's, it's, it's just this uh, drip, drip, drip water torture again, you know. Uh, that's a good way of putting it, drip, 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 water torture. And speaking of water torture, apparently one of the problems with the ordering of the Tylenol for kids is bilingual labeling. I know. I know. It's <laughs> scary, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, apparently there's been some kind of emergency order. I don't know if they're allowing English-only labels, um, but it's... It, it boggles the mind. I mean, when uh, pharmacists or whatever say that it, it's an increase in demand, I guess they did not anticipate the demand is the problem. Right. Right. Well, that's Peter. what they say. Peter? Um, yeah, the, I, I think the government waived those bilingual rules, didn't they, that they were going to let some through. Um, but um, certainly, like... I, I can remember from, you know, flu outbreaks in the past, children's, whatever it is, um, you know, the, the hospitals were overwhelmed and, you know, the, the message was stay at home, you know, give your kid chicken soup and, uh, you know, and, and painkillers and take care of them there. And, and so it, it seems to me it's, it's very important um, that we need to get painkillers out there. And, um, you know, who's ever... You know, in charge. I, I I don't even know who's in charge of this. Like, would it be the hospitals? Would it be you know, like who who? Would it be the drugstore? I, I don't know. What well, it would be here, the but... drugstores. I mean, this is an over over the counter thing. It's not. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, there are drug shortages in this country all the time, but that's mostly prescription drugs. This isn't a prescription drug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it. I I mean, it's a private sector thing. Uh, yeah. And so whoever ordered it. Uh, either didn't order it or or their order wasn't filled. Right. And and I suspect parents are going to ER because they can't get it at the, at the drugstore. Well, right? ex but well, the, the the thing about the Tylenol is that it apparently controls fever and if you don't yeah. have have it yeah. then your kids kids fevers sort of spike even yes. more than adults. Right. Yeah. People are applying cold compresses. There are people driving to Buffalo. I heard of one story of a woman drove to Buffalo and was able to buy one bottle of, I think it was Tylenol, but, you know, four-hour drive and happy to have one bottle. So it's uh, it's very serious. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Morning, Libby. My reaction to the, the mask wearing is why can't the government simply have a message which if we wear masks and save one life, it's worth it. I mean, we get all muddled up, and certainly our premier seems to get muddled up in what are people's rights. 
uh, and you have a right to not wear a mask or or in the U.S., I, I also take it to the next step, which you have a right to die because, you know, again, our death rate in Canada is one-third of what theirs is on a per capita basis. But why can't we put that message out, wear a mask, you may save somebody's life? Simple. Okay, thanks, Pat, for that. Uh, I think that is what they're trying to uh, get across, but I don't know, is it getting across? Pat Pat makes a really good uh, point, you know, and one of the problems is that uh, mask wearing has become so politicized. Uh, And, you know, the... the, uh, the governments, the politicians should should butt out and let the uh, let the expert physicians and the people who are telling us the fact, and that is, you know, wearing a mask is one of the easiest things we can do to prevent the spread, and uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give you a, a pain in your arm like a shot does. It doesn't keep you home. All it is is wearing wearing a mask, and if they let if they let the physicians give the kind of message that Pat is. Uh, uh, talking about, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, as some people are saying now, it's a lot like, uh, uh, seatbelts, you know, back when seatbelts were, uh, uh, were talked about, there was a lot of pushback, but, but governments had the, had the intestinal fortitude to say, no, we're going to make it a law. And now we all understand, we all wear it. It doesn't hurt us to, to do that. Uh, why can't they do the same thing about, uh, masks? They seem the, the anti the the small anti mass movement seems to have have uh, frightened uh, politicians into not doing what I'm sure they know they really should. Peter, you think they're frightened, or uh, it's their constituencies, or you know, I see a lot of people wearing masks, and when it comes to uh, older people, I think it's just a matter you got used to it, you got unused to it. It's time to get used to it again. <laughs> Yeah, but it's gonna it's gonna need a stronger message than the one uh, Dr. Moore is giving out. Though, like it, as you said, it was a non-mandate. Like it, it sort of said, yeah, you know, you should wear it, but you know, we're discussing reviewing the possibility of requiring it. But you know, also, you know, how is it any good for adults? You know, it's, it's mostly for kids, so you know, we need to keep kids out of social settings and. Like it was, it was such a convoluted message, and uh, just like basically all he needed to say was, "Okay, everyone, start wearing a mask again." You know. Well, they're looking at imposing it in schools apparently because that's where the big problem is. Right, but but like you know, it, it, this is one of these things that has to be either universally adopted or not adopted because it, if it's voluntary, it you know most people will choose not to. You know, and like. I'm not. I'm not saying a mask mandate is is necessary, but but if the doctor, if Doctor Moore thinks it is, then he's got to come up with a much stronger message than than what he came out with. Today. He's always been pretty waffly on imposing any kind of standards. That's yeah. my impression of him. Which makes me think that it's not that important to have a mask mandate, right? Like it, 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 it seems to be like it's a, you know, it, it's a it's a good idea, but it's not it's not crucial. And that's that's what I pull from today's statement. Well, what I pull from it is that it it we need it, but it's not politically palatable. Is what I get from it. Okay. It's, a, it's a prisoner yeah. of tremendous confusion and contradiction during COVID. It's not like nothing ever happened before, and now we're heading into a tough fall. <clears throat> and for the first time ever, wear a mask. Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? Rem- remember that. Especially in the United States, you had cops arresting people who were sitting in an outdoor park alone, unmasked, which was just just absurd. So you had these all over the map standards. Um, Now it seems he's saying indoors, which intuitively makes more sense. But I think they are now the victim. And it shouldn't be this way. I'm just describing what is. I'm not justifying. But they're the victim of two years of incredibly confusing, contradictory, up and down, back and forth messaging. And now to expect it to happen smoothly is just completely unrealistic. I don't know. I would have thought that we would have learned over the two years. I mean, really, like at the beginning, we didn't know. Uh, and new information comes in, so you change your your behavior or your recommendation. 
So, uh, uh, aha, but it's not being presented that way. What he's saying, wear a mask if you can, if you'd like to, mainly indoors, but if you don't want to. But, I mean, it's the same um, lack of uh, certainty, I guess, or definition. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Is part of the problem him? Who knows what's going on behind the scenes there, Peter? Is, is he part of the problem? Well, I don't think he's part of the problem. It's just, I, I don't think he's, you know, strongly recommends is is something, right? Um, and But it, it, he's not uh, saying anything beyond that. So there's no, like, if if he felt that it was important to have everyone wearing masks, he would he would not say strongly recommend. He would say, Everyone must wear masks in, in indoor public settings, you know, but he didn't say that. So it leads me to believe that he doesn't have the conviction that if everyone wears a mask, that will cut down on illness. It's been know? proven to cut down on illness. But but enough to, to like, what he's saying is, you know, uh, it might help reduce it, but, um, you he's know. He's saying, I don't want to make you do it. Yeah. Exactly. Is, that's what he's saying. But I don't want to make. He wouldn't give you the out if if it was crucial. Uh, I don't know. That's giving him too much too much faith in him. I think he doesn't he doesn't want. I think there are all these. You know, the especially uh, I think some sort of libertarian parents who are saying wearing a mask is is doing irreparable harm to my child socially. That's. I think that is a fairly common view, and I think even a more moderate version of that is uh, that kids have been harmed by this whole thing, which they have been. But remember, he started out more as a kind of a mini star of this whole thing because he replaced the previous um, uh, chief medical officer who had flubbed the opening yeah. stages of COVID and Moore had done so well in Kingston, I think it was, reducing yeah. the rate. Yeah. He yeah. was supposed to be the guy with all the answers. And now has he been sort of swallowed up by the bureaucrats as well? And he's just another probably um, team player, sort of. Yeah. I hate to say it. Yeah. But I think there is that big constituency. Yeah, I think that right. that are being that and that are particularly vocal when it comes to the effect on children. Well, now we see the result. It's it's children who are being hurt. And where do you think they got this? You know, uh, they they got it in school, being around a lot of other children. So, there, yeah, it, it's beyond me. It's beyond me why they would see that. Uh, where not wearing going not wearing a mask now uh, is better uh, be and and taking the risk of the schools being shut down entirely. What would they rather have? Schools eventually totally shut down, or wearing masks in schools so the kids can continue to get the socialization and the education they they need. It seems fairly clear, clear and straightforward. I have real difficulty understanding why people would think otherwise. I don't think there is anything that would make them shut down the schools at this point. But but there were there were always um, you know flu outbreaks in school schools you know so um, this this is sort of crossing the line from like masking to prevent the spread of COVID to masking to prevent the spread of a seasonal uh, flu. So like this this is this is a step he's pondering, but he hasn't quite made it. You know? I, I also have to wonder why they wouldn't. Uh, add to the messaging, I don't mean change it, by putting pressure on in the other direction. If you're the parent of a child under the age of five, do not allow your child to enter a room with people who aren't wearing masks. Then you'd get a grassroots pressure going the other way from people who said, look, I don't know whether you intend to follow him or not. My kid is not going into this room unless everybody's wearing a mask. That might accomplish something as well, it seems to me. Well, I think there are probably parents doing that. I'm sure there are uh, organic uh, generically or organically but because I mean, that's what they because be. the other side of it is getting all kinds of very dire messaging that that uh, there's no room in ERs for a lot of right. very sick children and there're no drugs for them. So that that is getting through. Right? Yeah, but if my kid has a, has missed this so far thank God has not yeah. been hit. 
I'm not letting that child into a well, room I'm with sure people there are, that don't have masks. There are sensible parents who, who are do doing that. that. Yeah, I hope so. But on the other hand, there but most of them are saying, as long as my kid can go to school, I'm sending my kid to school. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it it is uh, it is a bit of a conundrum. Anyway, I'm looking at the clock. It is time to wrap things up. Uh, what would you like to leave us with, starting with Bill? Well, for the for the rest of us and those who haven't done it yet, get your flu shot. Uh, if you're over 65, make sure you're getting the nasty recommended high-dose uh, uh, flu shot. At least you can protect yourself if the world around you isn't willing to help you protect yourself. Okay, and I'm going to be talking about flu shots a little later in the program, just a little program note. Uh, Peter, what what would you like to leave us with? Well, I'd like to see, um, you know, the government look into or businesses look into providing masks for people when they, you know, enter a store or a game or uh, any kind of public setting. There would be masks there for them to use. And then that would sort of get around the, the aggro people have of bringing a mask and, you know, putting it on or whatever, if, if everyone's being handed out masks, then um, that that would certainly make it easier for uptake on masks, if that's what the government wants. David? I agree with that. I agree with, I echo Bill's sentiment about the importance of getting boosted up, flu-shotted up, whatever you can do to, to protect yourself. But I also think, uh, to go back to what I said a moment ago, be vigilant for kids and grandkids to make sure that they are in settings, even if the wider society isn't doing it, that the immediate setting you're putting those kids in uh, includes uh, masks. I, I, I suspect this conversation will spark some conversations between grandparents, quote, meddling with their adult children's parenting and, and what to do. We can hear all about that next week. Right. Thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, Bill Van Gorder, and David Kravitz. Thanks, we'll talk Thanks soon. everyone. And uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, it's cold outside. It's winter. We're going to talk about winter driving when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If you are north of the city, you've already been dealing with the white stuff. And there's no doubt it is coming soon here. Uh, There were actually a little sprinkles or whatever yesterday, which means it's time to adjust our driving. The CAA, Toronto Police, the OPP, the Ministry of Transportation and the City of Toronto are joining forces to present tips and reminders for driving safely this winter season. And they're here to take your questions. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Nadia Matus, External Communications for CAA South Central Ontario, and Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP Highway Safety Division. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so let's start with Sergeant Schmidt. Have have you seen wacky winter driving already? <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you. I was in Aurelia this morning, and uh, there's snow on the ground. And actually, it was interesting as I was coming down. Lots of lots of water and slush on some of the lanes. I was getting my windshield all dirty from a spray from other vehicles. So washer fluid still important. And I also actually saw snow flying off of vehicles that had probably been parked up in Aurelia or someplace north of Barrie overnight. And it was blowing off uh, behind the vehicle. Saw some big trucks with a big plume of white snow blowing off the top of the uh, roof there as it was getting up to speed. So, you know what? I can't believe it. We've had such an incredible uh, fall already, but winter is around the corner, and the temperatures are really telling us uh, this morning when I got up and got out onto the road. Uh, But what I was asking, you know, uh, winter comes every year here in uh, lovely Canada. And, but, you know, you see people who uh, are driving like they've never seen it before. Exactly. Well, I haven't seen it yet. So we for, 
unfortunately haven't had that winter weather like they've had out west. Uh, I know we've had some big snowstorms uh, in the western part of the country, but so far in southern Ontario, we've been uh, pretty fortunate. So uh, I can suspect that we're going to see a pretty big increase in vehicles uh, kissing each other on the road uh, once we get that first blast of snow and people are going to forget that their stopping distances are going to be longer and uh, visibility could be reduced. And, you know, we're going to see those problems and and it's going to be before we know it. So this is the time to get prepared. Nadia Matus, what are your top winter driving tips? Well, right now, Libby, we recommend people do three things, and that is install a set of four matching winter tires because you need all the stability and traction that you can get over the coming winter months. Make sure that when you get those winter tires installed that you get your mechanic to check your car battery because you don't want to wake up on February on a Tuesday morning and realize your car battery is not going to make it and you, you're stuck somewhere. Um, and then the last thing is uh, we uh, want to encourage everybody to have an emergency kit in their back of their car because you're going to end up using an emergency in an emergency when you least expect it. So ensuring that you're safe ahead of time is going to be crucial for you to stay safe. And what should be in the emergency kit? Well, an emergency kit can have all sorts of things, like your basic things, like a, a a uh, shovel, and um, you can also have a canned candle, some warm, a warm blanket, you know, some non-perishable food items, but also things like kitty litter. You could also have that in your back car. Of course, we recommend tailoring the uh, emergency kit according to your destination. So if you're traveling far distances, you want to ensure that your emergency kit reflects that. Now, if you're going to the grocery store, not necessarily you're going to need all that kind of stuff, but making sure that you have an emergency kit there for your needs is going to be crucial. Uh, You know, um, it was very interesting. When we had the first debate uh, before the municipal election, and I pointed out to the mayor... Uh, who was then running for re-election, he kind of scoffed. I, he said, like, what's the problem? And I said, you know, we have potholes from last year. Why are we having potholes from last year on very crucial main streets? And there was a pothole blitz this last weekend, but uh, we still have potholes from last year and other obstacles, I think, that perhaps we haven't seen uh, in recent winters. Uh, Sergeant Schmidt, do you have a view of that? Well, you know, the roads, uh, there's always unpredictable uh, uh, elements that you need to be prepared for. Debris on the highway, or could be snow and ice on the highway. You know, driving in a manner that is responsible, being able to avoid hazards, and that includes potholes and uh, driving to those conditions. And one thing uh, we want to also obviously remind people and when it comes to uh, driving, you may not think uh, you're going to get yourself into uh, trouble even in the city here. But just think of the snowstorm we had last January where people were stranded on Highway 401 for hours and hours on end with the cell phones uh, running dead, no food, no water. You know, it's simple. And here we are in the GTA. And that was just last winter. So get ready. Make sure your vehicle is uh, tuned up ready to go, winter tires, emergency kit, uh, and know, know where your spare tire is. Know that you have extra top-up washer fluid. If you run dry, it can be a pretty terrifying experience if you can't see outside your windshield. Uh, yeah. Nadia, do you think that we are going to be facing any unusual winter hazards in town? Like I said, there's potholes left over from last year. And driving in general has been just so frustrating and difficult because of all the construction. Yeah, I I mean, I think I echo what Carrie's saying, but to add to it, I think as well is giving yourself plenty of time uh, to make sure that you're out on the road and that you're not feeling rushed. You know, as Carrie said, there's always going to be obstacles in front of you. There might be potholes that you can't see, but making sure that you give yourself plenty of time to brush off your vehicle, to get yourself ready so you don't feel rushed and that you have to speed or that you're very frustrated, you know, because it is a very stressful time of the year, people driving on highways, and you are going to come across all sorts of different situations. So by giving yourself that little bit of extra time, you're just going to, you know, feel a little bit safer and go slow and make sure that you're really attentive to what you're driving. Uh, 
Are there any tips for, uh, you know, you said, I mean, if you don't see a pothole, you don't see a pothole, but is there anything that you can keep your eyes peeled for so uh, you don't miss it? Well, with the, with the, with the pothole, you know, it, it, it's with the buckling of uh, the actual asphalt there. Uh, you know, it, it is, especially on the highway, it is hard sometimes to kind of see things that far in advance. So that's why both me and Carrie are kind of talking about, you know, making sure that you go slow and that you keep your eyes on the road and avoid distractions. You know, if you're looking at your phone, if you're plugging stuff into your GPS, your eyes are not on the road. And so super crucial that you, you remove and eliminate all distractions, even things like cruise control. You want to remove things like that in the winter times as well, because you want as much stability and traction on the roads as possible so that you can see a couple lengths ahead of you. Uh, and as Carrie mentioned, you know, giving other drivers space as well. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Carrie, uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Well, you know what? Yeah, we're going to be uh, into this winter weather soon enough and just uh, being prepared for it. We always talk about uh, being courteous on the road, lane discipline, and having that awareness around you. We know how quickly traffic conditions can change, how quickly it can come to a grinding halt, and you need to slam on the brakes. But if you're slamming on the brakes and the roads are wet or slippery or icy, uh, you know your stopping distances will be extended. And uh, when we do get that first blast of snow, we're going to see all those uh, toes uh, not toes, uh, but plow, toe plows and uh, street sweepers and cleaners and, and uh, you know, pieces of equipment that are going to be out there keeping our highways clear. So give them space to do their job. They're clearing the highways. Again, avoid travel when we're in a snow event and wait until, you know, the conditions improve before you actually have, absolutely have to uh, head out onto the road. Let's make sure the highways are cleared and then get out and uh, go where you need to go if you need to be on the road. But obviously, have that awareness, look down the road, and just have your full headlighting system on, all kinds of things that we always talk about that we sometimes need to be reminded of and uh, get to your destination safely, but slow down and, and drive to those conditions. Okay, I think that says it all. Thank you so much, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt and Nadia Matus. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're taking another break. And when we come back, uh, the former head of the science advisory table, Dr. Fahad Razak, will be with us. And I have a lot of questions about uh, shots and intervals for shots. Uh, and uh, he can answer questions from you as well when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This morning we were hearing about low take-up of the new bivalent vaccines by the Zoomer demographic, but many of us aren't sure about how to proceed if we had fourth shots in the summer. Also, where and how do flu shots fit in with all of this? Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm sure I am not the only person with questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Fahad Razak, an internist at St. Michael's Hospital and former scientific director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Dr. Razak, nice to chat with you again. Hi, Libby. Always nice to chat. Thank you. Uh, so uh, first, the question about for for many people in our demographic, this new bivalent vaccine will actually be the fifth. So what kind of uh, an interval should they be putting between the fourth and the fifth? Uh, or is it something not to worry about? So the interval is a minimum of three months between your last shot, which for many people, as you said, is their fourth shot during the summer, or infection. So if you did, if you were infected at some point during the summer or into the fall, it would be three months after that. The reason why we say wait three months is that there seems to be some benefit for your immune system to have that period to recover from the last booster or from the last infection and then be strong and ready to respond to the new trigger when you get that uh, booster shot. And so if you push that too close together, you won't get probably as much benefit from your immune response. And there is some question about waiting longer than three months. That's that's okay. But because there's a lot of COVID circulating now, I think it would be 
quite reasonable to be close to that three-month mark. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that was the next question because a lot of us were told or had recommendations earlier that, you know what, yeah, you could get it earlier, but waiting five months is even better. Yeah, so this is going into some of the nuance of the science. I have to say, we don't have great evidence around this now because we're talking about a situation where you're having different kinds of vaccines, you're having infections layered on top, um, and then, of course, the effect of risk categories like being older in age or having an underlying health condition. I would say for most people, the reasonable window is somewhere in that three to six month mark. You go closer to three months if you are more likely to be exposed. So let's say you have young children, grandchildren or children who are going to be in the home and bring it in with them, or you're at a, at a job that means that you're encountering a lot of people and many of them are not wearing a mask. You may be closer to that three month mark or you have an underlying health condition. Absolutely. Then close to the three month mark. If you have none of those things and you feel like you want to wait a little bit, then you could go closer towards the six months. So there's not an exact answer there. And that's really a question to, you know, probably talk through with your primary health care provider. Okay, let's uh, move along to flu shots. So first of all, can you get the flu shot and uh, and the vaccine on, on the same day in the same sitting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I did. I got both of mine on the same day. Um, yeah, your arm may be a little bit more sore if they both go into the same arm. Um, but there's no, <clears throat> there's no reason from the perspective of your immune system or from the protection you get that they have to be separated. Um, I would say right now, if you have not received the flu vaccine, it is clearly surging. Uh, it should be a priority to go out there right away and get it because we call a flu season starting when you have more than 5% of the tests coming back positive. We're approaching 15%. So we are in the midst of a flu season uh, on the medical wards for the first time in a couple of years. I'm admitting patients with flu. I, I used to admit a lot of it. Then during the pandemic, we had almost none, and now we're seeing it again. So this would definitely be very important. And of course, keep your COVID vaccines up to date. So definitely some urgency towards going out, especially to get that flu vaccine right now. And here's a question. If you've been sick um, uh, with uh, either flu or RSV, like whatever it is, who knows, uh, yeah. you have to wait to get the flu shot, right? Well, so look, if you've had the flu, the flu surge has, has happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, if you've had the flu in the last couple of weeks, then definitely no, don't go out and get the flu shot on top. So, uh, go and speak to your family doctor or your, another primary care provider, nurse practitioner or pharmacist before you get an, anything additional. That would be a pretty small number of people. I think the real opportunity right now is for all of those people who haven't gotten the flu shot yet. Uh, now is a great time. Today is a great time. Tomorrow is a great time. Go out and get it because Look, the flu every year can be, you know, a relatively severe illness for people, and it's hard to predict who's going to get really sick from the flu. Um, our immune systems haven't been exposed to it as much the last couple of years. There's that as well. So uh, definitely go ahead and get it. And, and one of the good things about this year's vaccine is that they have to make the vaccine in advance, and they never know how good a match it's going to be for the version of the flu that's circulating. This year, it seems to be a very good match. So that's even a stronger reason to go ahead and get it. Now, uh, I know somebody who had um, one of these non-COVID things and, and the doctor said, wait two weeks. Does that sound like a reasonable interval? For, to, yeah, to- sounds reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have exact guidance for you. So they had some infection that wasn't flu and wasn't COVID. Sure. Um, that sounds reasonable. Um, you know, hard for me to say exactly depending on the uh, individual person. The, 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 the situation with COVID, you know, it's, it's because we've gotten so used to testing. Uh, well, a lot of people are still testing, uh, as is our family. You, you, you have a lot more precision around what you're infected with, with, with COVID. But, you know, the truth is there's a lot of viruses circulating out there that are not COVID and not the flu. And so with those things, I think using a bit of judgment, letting yourself to re- recover before you get your vaccine probably makes sense. Yeah. I mean, how do you know if you, if you haven't gone to the hospital, if you just have, I mean, how would you know if you have the flu or RSV or like whatever? Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you've had something relatively mild and you you know you're not you weren't tested and you're not sure, I think it, for those people it would be reasonable to go out and get a vaccine. Still, uh, obviously, at this point, you know, I can't tell you a study to recommend. I'm I'm kind of reflecting on what I would do in my clinical practice with patients. But look, this is where you know we're a big province. A big country, people have to speak to their primary, you know, their primary care provider and decide. That's, that's hard. It would be hard for me to give 
you know, one yeah. kind of uniform piece of advice for everybody on this. If they can get to their primary care. I know. Uh, I know. That's uh, I know. A, yeah. a big problem. Yeah, there are one of one of multiple problems we are facing right now. I agree. I'm going to take a call from Lena in Kitchener. Hi, Lena. Hi. Go ahead. You're on the air. Um, so I've had all my COVID vaccines. I'm 72, heading to 73. I've had all my COVID vaccines pretty much as soon as I could, including the Moderna bivalent, as soon as it came out, within a week of it being um, open. And now I'm hearing about the Pfizer bivalent, which apparently targets what's really going around now much more than Moderna. So once my three months are up, am I eligible? Is it a good idea to get the Pfizer bivalent vaccine as well? Yeah. So look, I'm I'm in the same uh, position as you are. I got the Moderna bivalent. I knew, uh, like many of us knew, that the Pfizer bivalent was on the horizon. Um, I think you did the right thing because, uh, you know, the situation with these vaccines is to get the best protection available to you now. There is still not a direct study comparing the Pfizer and the Moderna. There's there's cases to be made for both of them being maybe potentially better than the other. And I would say in the clinical community, there's definitely no agreement that one is better than the other. So I think you did the right thing by getting the bivalent vaccine. Now, the question is the bivalent versus what was available before, which was the monovalent or single antigen um, uh, vaccines. These bivalent vaccines are better. And the reason they're better is because they expose you to multiple versions of the virus and they give you broader protection. So if you have not received the bivalent vaccine yet, please go out and consider getting it now. For many Canadians, they are well within the window where they would now be eligible, as I said, more than three months since infection or vaccination. So there are many millions of Canadians who are in that position now. In terms of the next vaccine you get, look, we don't have we don't have guidance on that yet. Stay tuned. Talk to your uh, primary care provider if you have one or your pharmacist, depending on where you get it. There, there will be guidance coming out as we head further into the winter season on what to do for those who got the bivalent early in the fall. And it's going to depend a lot on what's circulating and new studies that are still coming out. So there, people are looking at this carefully, but we just don't have the evidence yet. Okay. Great. Thank you. Uh, we have a question from Shauna here in Toronto. Hi, Shauna. Hello. Go ahead. I've had, uh, I've had the four Pfizer shots. I want to get the fifth shot, but I'm allergic to the bivalent uh, vaccine. I'm trying to find out whether I can just get a regular booster shot, like the third or fourth. Uh, and second to that, I've called everywhere I could possibly call health-wise in Ontario, and they have no idea whether I can get it or where I can get it. So let me understand a bit better. You're, you've gotten four of the Pfizer's, but you, did you correct. say you were aller- allergic to the bivalent vaccine? Yes, correct. But but how? It, but so you've received the bivalent vaccine already? No, I have not yet because I'm allergic to Toradol, and my doctor advised to try and just get a regular booster. But he had no idea whether I could even get the booster. Oh, I see. Okay, so Toradol is a is a is a pain medication you take at the Correct. same time you're getting the vaccine. Okay, okay. So you're not so the so the new so the new bivalent is not something you're allergic to. You're allergic to the pain medication you take Correct. at the Correct. same time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, well, look, for you, um, I would say that there's no reason to think that the bivalent would be any more or less painful. That's not what we're hearing than the regular vaccine. So there's no reason that you can't take whatever pain medication you took for doses one through four, as long as you don't have an allergy, of course, um, to the bivalent vaccine. There's no reason you can't take the, the same old pain medication. And, you know, truthfully, for many people, um, the vaccine reactions are not severe enough to require pain medication. So, you know, you could take a strategy where you wait to see if you're feeling some pain and only take something then at that time. But again, I would say, you know, kind of a individual discussion with your doctor about the best strategy. But there's certainly no reason why the bivalent vaccine would require a specific pain medication like Toradol. Okay, my understanding was my doctor said that one of the new ingredients in the vaccine is Toradol, which I'm allergic to. Got it. Okay. No, uh, you know, to the to the extent of my knowledge, Toradol is not part of any of the vaccines because it's used as... I got uh, you. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's used as a pain medication by some people to, if they get, re- you know, a really painful arm after a vaccine. Correct, but it's, it's not It's like taking Advil or Tylenol after a, a okay. vaccine. Okay, so it's not I, in a vaccine. Yeah, get back to your doctor. Thanks for your call. Uh, yeah, 
um, all kinds of uh, strange situations coming <laughs> up. And yeah, it's it's hard to get a handle on all of this and, and to understand uh, the medical information sometimes that you get correctly. Uh, so Dr. Razak, uh, just to sum up, uh, what are you telling people? Look, um, we are in a very tough winter season. I think you probably most people are tired of hearing from people like me saying crisis challenges. But, you know, unfortunately, we are heading into uh, the winter with already a pretty significant surge of influenza, a lot of COVID floating around, and you're seeing the stress on our pediatric hospitals right now. So this is a very tough winter. We are, this is going to be a very tough winter. We have not faced something like this in Canada because the last couple of years while we were suppressing COVID, these other two infections weren't really circulating. RSV especially can make older individuals sick. I admit uh, older individuals with RSV every year. So it is a virus that you have to be cautious around for older, both the older and younger population in the province. So do what you can. The public health measures that we've always talked about will continue to help you. A good quality mask, if you can wear a respirator, great. At least a surgical mask. Hand hygiene is really valuable for some of these other viruses, things like RSV and influenza. Keeping your vaccines up to date is going to be really important. And then just be cautious in your gatherings. We're entering the holiday season. If someone is sick, it's a really good idea they don't come and join a big gathering of your family or friends because this can spread very quickly. I know that is uh, not what you want to hear in a festive season. But again, I would say we have limited options and you have to do everything you can to protect your family, uh, your community and our health system. Okay, final quick question. You talk about admitting people with RSV. At at what point does somebody know that they have to go to the hospital? Like what? Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 the with with anything that requires acute care, if you're worried enough that you're not able to manage at home, if you're having trouble managing either breathing, pain, um anything, you know, blood pressure, you it's very low, you're feeling pain, anything that makes you feel really unwell, um, come to the hospital. We will do, we will take good care of you. You're hearing a lot about the stress in the system, but we are still able to manage to give good care. We are, we're there for you. So if you're feeling unwell, come in. Um, whether it's RSV or the flu or COVID, you know, that's our job to sort out. And the right treatment for you is something that we can determine at that point. But, you know, I, I really want to emphasize to people, as much as you're hearing about the system under pressure, the reason we have this system is to care for you when you're feeling sick. So, you know, definitely... If you can see your family doctor or if you have access to someone and you're, and you're able to manage at home, wonderful. But if you're getting to the point that you're not able to, you know, that's the time to come into acute care. Okay. And there's also this uh, telehealth emergency uh, that can help you understand. Dr. Fahad Razak, thank you so much. Great information. Really appreciate yeah. it. Great to be with you, Lily. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.